Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Up next, a chance encounter results in a vicious murder. The first people to arrive discovered a very brutal scene. There was a lot of blood. And a lot of suspects. We're talking in years of work, we eliminated over 400 people. Investigators carry on despite setback after setback. While this case may have grown cold, it was never closed. Then forensic science from an unrelated crime helps expose a killer. For whatever reason, this case just draws you in and you want to be a part of it. Wisconsin is one of the Great Lakes states notorious for brutal winters. But for reasons no one could later explain, on a December night in 1984, a young woman decided to brave the bitter weather and walk home. It was snowing and it was cold. She had to walk a number of miles to her home. A few hours later, a man went out to get his newspaper and came upon a shocking sight. The body was discovered along a gravel driveway. It was a female. She was laying on her back. She was naked from the breast down. Her head was bloodied. It was evident that she had been bludgeoned on the right side of her head. Even veteran detectives were stunned by this level of violence. The victim had been struck with such force that cast off blood spatter, which flies off a weapon during repeated strikes, had traveled all the way up into the surrounding trees. She had been violently strangled, raped, and beaten in the head a number of times by this metal object. The rage and how violent the scene was really was disturbing. The murder weapon was not at the scene Blood evidence made it clear the victim had been killed where she was found. Since she wasn't frozen and temperatures were frigid, police knew she hadn't been there long. She was identified as 18-year-old Tracy Hammerberg. Tracy was a friendly girl. She was friends with just all the groups that one might encounter, you know, in your typical high school. She did have some rough patches at home, she had some things she was dealing with like most, you know, like typical high schoolers at the time and like today. On the morning Tracy was killed, there was fresh snowfall, a potential break for investigators. There were some tire tracks that had been left in the snow. There was also a pack of Marlboro red cigarettes that had been found in the snow also. 
Tracy's murder took place in a very rural area, aside a long driveway, well away from any houses. But in another possible break, there were two potential witnesses. There was a hunter. Uh, it was deer hunting season, and he had been out about 5.45 in the morning, and he heard a car accelerating at a high rate of speed. He saw the car come out of the driveway of the residence without any headlights on. Another hunter says that he observes a dark sedan traveling at a high rate of speed. But this was all the detail these two witnesses could provide. The task now was for detectives to backtrack Tracy's final hours. Her night began innocently enough. She babysat for a friend, and then she had some friends pick her up to take her to a party at this house. Nothing unusual for a Friday night. They played a drinking game called quarters, where you bounce a quarter into a cup and then decide who drinks the cup of beer. They did that for some time. Some partygoers said Tracy left about 12.30, but that seemed to be all they agreed about. Everyone we talked to had a different way that Tracy had left the residence and there were a lot of holes in what they were telling us. It created some suspicion on what had occurred at that residence and what time Tracy had actually left. For some unexplicable reason, they would not settle on one story. Which led to a lot of questions about a cover-up and what or who these party-goers were hiding. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Tracy Hammerberg's autopsy confirmed what detectives at the scene surmised. She was sexually assaulted. She was strangled. She was bludgeoned with uh, what they described as a metallic object. They believed that the weapon was a metallic weapon similar in nature to a tire iron. A possible clue was a class ring on her left hand with the initials GDW engraved on the inside. This was tracked back to Tracy's boyfriend, Glenn Wagner, but he was out of state the night of the murder and was eliminated. Another clue, skin cells under Tracy's fingernails, a clear sign she had fought for her life. A rape kit was performed, but in 1984, the resulting genetic evidence was of limited value. At the time the crime was committed, DNA was not around yet. We weren't using that in the laboratories. The most common thing to do was ABO blood group typing. So that what was initially what was done early on in the case. ABO blood typing refers to the major blood types found across all populations. Tracy's killer had type O blood, not exactly rare, but a valuable tool to connect or eliminate potential suspects. 
in this particular case, um, the ABL blood group type was the limit of what we could do and then make comparisons to particular individuals that law enforcement would submit. Before Tracy left the beer party the night of the murder, a friend named David Drake offered her a ride home. By all accounts, she turned down the offer, despite the bad weather. Tracy not taking a ride on a December night in Wisconsin is unusual. While questioning other partygoers, detectives learned that earlier that night, David Drake arrived late to the party. David says he's later than usual because he had a flat tire. Later, he's questioned about that flat tire. He's questioned about the tire iron that he used to change that flat tire. And he cannot explain that why he doesn't have the tire iron. He says he lost it while he was changing the tire. What's the odds of somebody getting a flat tire and losing the tire iron on a night that a girl at his house gets murdered and we believe the potential murder weapon is a tire iron? But his blood type was not type O, and that eliminated him as a suspect. Meanwhile, Tracy's murder was big news in rural Wisconsin, and one tip about a man named Dale Schultz was of particular interest to detectives. Interviews with people who surrounded Dale, he was violent, he would lose his temper, he abused women. It was determined that Dale knew Tracy at the time, had potentially dated Tracy, had prior incidents with other girlfriends where he became very violent, actually threatened one of his former girlfriends with a tire iron. So he became a very good suspect. He became an even better suspect when police heard a strange story about Dale Schultz from around the night of Tracy's murder. He was seen with blood on his jacket. Dale informed the investigator that he was involved in a bar fight, and that's the reason that the blood was on his jacket. For detectives, this seemed like more than a coincidence, and Schultz's alibi for the period of the murder wasn't exactly airtight. He was at a bar. Alcohol was involved. The memories of potential alibi witnesses were sketchy. Even more damning for investigators was the blood test. Dale Schultz was type O. Everything pointed in his direction, but there was no conclusive proof. No arrest was possible, at least for now. There were just no answers to any of the questions that were there. The violence of that encounter with Tracy was something that no one took lightly. I think it caused a realistic fear of, you know, what is happening in our community. And that fear lingered for years until the arrest of a serial killer thousands of miles away created a path to the man who murdered Tracy. Weeks and then months went by with no arrests in Tracy Hammerberg's murder. The community was on edge. There was a fear of how did this happen? There were just no answers to any of the questions that were there. It struck a nerve in that area. There were a lot of people, a lot of young people that, you know, used to take rides or would go to parties without asking too many questions. 
that all of a sudden things changed. Early in the investigation into Tracy's murder, detectives' main tool was the killer's blood type. As the years passed and DNA technology evolved, analysts generated the killer's DNA profile. The best that we could do at the time was just analyze a bloodstain card from an individual or their buckle swab and compare that profile to the evidence profile and determine whether it was a match or an elimination. With this early DNA technology, detectives attempted to test anyone with even a remote connection to Tracy. The testing, what came to be known as a DNA dragnet, eliminated Dale Schultz, the only solid suspect in the case as well as more than 400 men who were also tested. So, despite the finding of DNA and nearly unprecedented testing of potential suspects, Tracy's case was back to square one. It really got to the point where we were making some phone calls to the state crime lab asking, you know, are are we sure about this? Is there something that could be wrong? DNA databases worldwide were growing by the day. If Tracy's killer committed any other violent offense, which, given the nature of the crime, seemed likely, his DNA should end up in CODIS, the U.S. criminal DNA database. This profile in particular was entered into CODIS in July of 2000. At that time, the database wasn't necessarily that large. It did not hit at the time. And over the course of decades, it still hadn't hit in CODIS. Nearly 20 years passed, no new suspects emerged. Neil McGrath was assigned to the case in 2005. I read through the entire case file, reviewed photos and video from the evidence. What really made an impression on me was how violent the crime was. I felt a real responsibility to find the individual that had done this to Tracy and get him off the street. It was never a cold case. It was a case that was always being worked on in some capacity. And finally, that diligence appeared to pay off. We heard about a different way of conducting DNA. We heard about forensic genetic genealogy. In 2018, the notorious Golden State Killer was finally identified thanks to a new breakthrough in DNA technology. When the Golden State Killer had happened and they heard about this use of genetic genealogy, they immediately went to, well, hey, can we use genetic genealogy in this case? This had the potential to identify Tracy's killer, but there was one problem, and it was a big one. In 2018, investigators thought we had used our entire sample of DNA. Genetic genealogy required a fresh DNA sample. You need quite a bit of DNA at the time in order to develop the type of profile that is utilized for genetic genealogy, and we didn't think there was anything left to go back to. Tracy Hammerberg's case, the original DNA sample from her murder was copied countless times using a process called PCR and ultimately entered into the CODIS database. But the part of a DNA sample needed for genetic genealogy is different. 
For genetic genealogy, the type of DNA testing that's utilized is single nucleotide polymorphisms, or SNPs is the acronym for it. To do that type of testing, analysts needed something from the original DNA sample, but that might not be possible. Because of the amount of testing that was done, the majority of the initial sample was used up. When we determined that genetic genealogy would be the course we would take with Tracy and her case, the problem we had was we did not think we had any DNA left from the suspect. In an attempt to save the case, Detective Scott Heller went back to the original evidence file, which had been sitting in storage for nearly three decades. Scott Heller went through every piece of evidence that had been collected over the years, made contact with people at the crime lab to discuss what potentially could have DNA on it, what might not. We found one envelope, the one that was dated correctly, the one with the right identifiers. And I think at first we couldn't believe what we were seeing. We had what we believed was going to give us the best chance to develop that profile to find Tracy's killer. It, it was exciting. It was, we were beside ourselves. This was a DNA extract remaining from the original DNA swabs. To the relief of investigators, a SNP DNA profile was generated. The question now was whether genetic genealogy could expose Tracy's killer. The key would be accessing the vast amounts of genetic material stored in both public and private DNA databases. There's a database of people, particularly through companies such as 23andMe and, and Ancestry.com, where people are submitting their DNA for their own personal use. And then those databases can be searched for the purposes of law enforcement investigations. The suspect's DNA is compared to the genetic profiles of millions of people. Some of these people, from all over the world, may share small amounts of DNA with the suspect. Slowly, this technology creates an extended genetic family tree. The information that I was given was there was um, some matches to maybe a second or third cousin in the family tree. And it was just a matter of then building out the tree to find what family this individual was a part of. I always looked at it like walking into a stadium. You know your suspects in that stadium and you can narrow it down through the snip from the section into the row and then ultimately to the seat number where your suspect's gonna be. As the list of possible suspects was narrowed down, analysts looked for males who would have been living in Wisconsin way back in 1984. We found a second marriage in a family tree. And from that, produced two brothers that had lived in Port Washington. As we looked at their background, we found that one brother was in a lot of trouble. He had been to prison. His name was Philip Cross. He was 21 years old at the time of Tracy's murder. Tracy knew Philip Cross from riding the bus when they were younger in school. Investigators also discovered that Philip Cross smoked Marlboro red cigarettes, just like the pack of cigarettes found at the crime scene. And he was suspected of previous incidents with eerie similarities to Tracy's murder. He met a girl at a bar and got a ride home from her. 
As she was giving him a ride home, he took off his belt, put her around her neck, and started choking her. She was able to slam on the horn and break free, while Philip went running away. Cross was never charged in this incident, so his DNA didn't get entered into CODIS. Detectives tracked him down and found him in coroner's records. He died of a drug overdose 28 years after Tracy's murder. DNA saved from his autopsy left no doubt he was the killer. The news was bittersweet because we wanted that suspect to face justice. He was able to live his life. Tracy wasn't given that same opportunity. A background check showed Philip Cross worked at a factory near Tracy's location the night of the murder. His shift would have ended about the time she was walking home. Investigators believe he offered her a ride and the evidence indicates she entered his car. They drove to the isolated spot along the driveway. It appears Cross made a sexual advance, which Tracy rebuffed. The evidence indicates he choked her, almost to death, sexually assaulted her. Then he beat her to death with what they suspect was a tire iron. But unknown to him, he left conclusive proof behind. It just took nearly 35 years for DNA technology to finally reveal it. It's touched a lot of people. I was a third generation detective that had helped out with this investigation. We were trying to use every investigative technique that we could to locate this killer. And fortunately, science had advanced to a point that allowed us to do that. We're in this because we want to help others. We want to bring closure to people. We want to help solve your case. A case like this that's been around for such a long time, it becomes part of you in a way. You don't want to give it up. You want to be the analyst, the final analyst that writes that report that solves that case. 